<clears throat> excuse me. So as, as we've already talked about the, uh, before, um, Moses was writing these words, and I, we said this a couple times, and um, third time's a charm, right? This is, that's why I get three t- turns, okay, to try to get it right. And then next week, Eric will speak, okay? Um, they're like, put the hook on that guy. No, um, so as we talked about before, though, uh, Moses was writing these words for people that had never had a land, okay? They've, they've not been a nation, but God is, is bringing them out of Egypt, and he's going he's gonna to give them a land, okay? He's going to lead them to uh, the promised land, and he's taking this group of people, and by his miraculous hand, he's going to prepare them to give them a land of their own. And uh, what we will see moving forward <clears throat> as they're going into this land, and we'll, well, actually, we'll, we might see it a little bit, you know, in the book of Judges, and you see all throughout the book of Kings and um, Chronicles and those things, that um, these fa- two primarily false religions plague these people, okay? Um, and uh, one is from their past, typically, and one is, is from the religions that they're going to face for these people in the future, that they're gonna, the land that they're going to go into, the land of Canaan. Um, and I just want us to see that God deals with those things right here in the first chapter, okay? And we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, I want to start off by showing us a picture of... Um, these guys here, okay? So from the times past, the Babylonians and Abraham was probably familiar with this because the Chaldeans, they, they believed uh, in the story of creation. They believed in this god called Tiamat, who was this great sea creature, this dragon-looking thing on the left. And um, so there was this sea creature and uh, that was very fierce and and, um, and, and, and owned the sea and everything and created these sea creatures. And, um, and then there was a god that came along called Tiamat, who's on the right, kind of looks like this Poseidon-looking thing uh, guy. And um, as the story goes in this uh, creation story of Babylon, um, Tiamat comes along and, and slew and slew Tiamat and um, uh, took her body and created the stars out of her body, okay? That's how the stars supposedly got there in the Babylonian account, okay? And then, however, Tiamat, because she was so powerful, um, the great sea creatures that she created um, were still continued to um, have strength uh, even after her death and to where they controlled the tides and the storms to haunt the people who would continue to worship Marduk in the future. Um, and that story comes from a Babylonian account of creation um, that's like 900 pages long, if you care to, to go look it up and read it. Um, and I think what's interesting is God gave us an account of creation that's three pages long. And he just says, I created all these things, right? He just I just spoke them into existence. I didn't need to create this long 900-page story about all these gods and how they had a clash and a fight and everything else. Um, So um, now you're probably more familiar with um, 
Baal. Okay, you're going to hear about Baal uh, more and uh, as we go through Genesis here. And as the narrative goes, um, with the Baal story, every year Baal would get entangled by these great sea creatures, and he would have to overcome them in order to bring rain to the area of the Fertile Crescent there in the land of Canaan. Um, and if it was a drought year, the people believed that sometimes they would have to sacrifice a human uh, so that Baal would bring the rains. And um, we find out that it didn't take long before the Israelites began to soon give in to those false practices. Um, but again, you know, I bring this stuff up because I just believe it's amazing that God in his wisdom delivers this message to the people to prepare them before they're going into the land of Canaan to give them this truth, right? That, guys, I created this. I created, there, there's no Baal, there's no great sea creatures that like are entangled in Baal and he's got to overcome them because I created them. And I created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And um, I'm the God who's gonna create rain and make rain and I created the animals. And um, he deals with that right here. Um, so he's preparing them, uh, Israel, to um, counter and drop false worldviews that would tempt them to go astray. Um, so, um, and what's interesting is they, they just, um, they, well, as we know, they, they end up going astray anyway. And why is that? Well, because... Why do we go astray? You know, it's just, it's in our nature that we, our sinful nature, that we, we know the truth, right? And, and, and we just tend to go astray anyhow. But I mentioned that the story of Tiamat and Marduk comes from a Babylonian account of creation. And um, as I was um, reading through this, it's interesting, but some critics, um, I think the name of that book is called the Enuma Elish. And, uh, that 900-page uh, book um, that they found. And um, a lot of critics will say like, hey, Moses, or the author of Genesis, stole the creation account, and he took uh, what we see in Genesis is he stole these things from these other creation accounts. Well, I just want to address that just briefly here, just for our own enrichment of our faith, Okay. Um, and I want to talk about some other accounts of creation, just, just for a minute here. So there's a Sumerian account of creation, and some people believe that like the Sumerian culture is a really, really old culture. Well, the Sumerian account of creation talks about how when things were created, they did not start out as good to begin with, but they've become better over time. So they started out kind of bad, and they became better over time, and yet that's not consistent with the biblical account. In the biblical account, everything started out as very good and, uh, and then grew steadily worse through man's sinfulness. Um, so it would be, that doesn't really appear that Moses, you know, stole from that, uh, you know, creation account. Um, and then Genesis 1 affirms the unity of God, and whereas these other creation accounts um, talk, they're all, polytheism is throughout all of them, okay? in the other Near Eastern creation accounts. Um, Genesis 1 affirms that God created the sun, moon, the stars, the sea creatures, whereas according to the other accounts, those entities were regarded as deities. Okay, so that's another difference there. 
And uh, with respect to Oriental mythology and Babylonian tradition, um, man was created by the gods as an afterthought to relieve them of work and to supply them with food. Whereas what we see in the true creation account is that God created man and man was the climax of God's creation. We weren't meant to like serve the gods, you know, and provide them food. Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> I found this quote um, by a gentleman named Hassel. Don't know what his first name was, but I really like this. It says, quote, the author of Genesis 1, therefore, shows that he was aware of other cosmologies, which I didn't know what that word meant, so it means related to origins. So he was really, this guy feels like the author of Genesis 1 was aware of other stories of origins out there and that he wrote not in dependence on them so much as in deliberate rejection of them. So like this guy feels like Moses was aware, and he, Moses probably was, right? He grew up in, he grew up in Egypt and he was learned in, in the highest schools in Egypt. So he probably was aware of other creation accounts. But this guy is like, you know what? It's clear that whoever was writing Genesis 1 was writing an account that was clearly rejected these other creation accounts. And um, why do we think that was? Well, because it seems like God wrote Genesis 1. <laughs> um, so think about this. The world today is really not that much different than the world that the Israelites lived in. And, um, and that's why I talked about, like in a couple weeks ago, that uh, this book of Genesis continues to confront the world in which we live. You know, it con confronts the world's views in which we live. And, you know, we may think for all of our sophistication and cell phones and cable TV and everything, that we've gotten beyond silly stories of Tiamat and Marduk, right? But how silly is it for us today to think that something was created from nothing, right? I mean, if you really think about it, that's, that's at least the people back then had the sense to believe that something came from something, um, you know? <laughs> so... Uh, and then when you think of child sacrifice, you think that, you know, they're sacrificing a human. Typically, it was children so that Baal would bring the reins. Have we really gotten beyond child sacrifice in our culture today? Not really. Uh, we might not worship Baal, um, but we worship the God of wealth, the God of pleasure, and so forth. And children are sacrificed every day on the altar of pleasure and money. Um, people say like, you know, I don't want that child. It, it, it's going to get in the way of the convenient. It's inconvenient in my life. So let's go ahead and sacrifice it to, to what I want out of my life. So, so we're really, <clears throat> I mean, we're thousands of years removed from these cultures back then, but we're, we're almost no different, you know? Um, so what is the takeaway from all this? I mean, we're, we're going to get into Genesis in just a minute, but, but I think this is a key takeaway from all this. We know that the book of Genesis continues to confront the false worldviews of the world around us. So in my mind, one of the biggest takeaways that we see here is from Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, which says, You shall teach these things diligently to your children 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And if you don't have children, then teach them to other children, okay? I mean, I just love it that like even when we have children's church here, if, you're, if you don't have children and you're volunteering in children's church, you're, you're doing something in Awana. I mean, even at the basic level of puggles and cubbies and whatnot, I mean, we're teaching things like God created the sun and the moon and the stars. I mean, that's, that's exactly what we're doing is we're, we're doing what Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, and we're taking God's truth and we're teaching them, you know, when we sit down and by the way and when we, when we rise up. And that's exactly what the takeaway is here that we need to be doing. And um, so I'm just, I'm just excited about that. I, I mean, I'm excited more than ever that um, my, my faith has increased just to be unashamed in teaching the creation account as what God says here. I mean, I, I feel like we have, we have no, uh, we should have no inferiority complex compared to anybody else who has some other account or, uh, well, I think it's this way and what you guys believe is just, you know, a made-up story. No, not really. I mean, I think what you believe is a made-up story. I mean, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's pretty clear um, that, uh, in my mind, that, <clears throat> that God is behind it all. We're, and we're going to get more into that today a little bit as well. <laughs> I just read an article to Troy last night about DNA, and it, 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 was, it was pretty amazing. <clears throat> okay, so let's go ahead and read Genesis 1. Verse 20 through 25. Um, and we will get through these verses today. And then next week, Eric will start with God uh, making man. Okay, Genesis uh, verse 20. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. I want us to notice how God uses the word swarm several times here. Um, I think it's just the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. And then let down and in, 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 uh, um, later he says, with, the with, with which the waters swarm according um, to their kinds. Um, this has the idea of this vibrant, swift, back and forth motion of just 
fish or sea creatures just like um, swarming, moving about with life. And, um, and maybe some of you are like this. Maybe, maybe you guys are afraid to get in the water because you know that there's things just swarming down there. I don't know if you guys went swimming on your vacation, but I mean, um, so I grew up on the East Coast. So you're, my experience in swimming was either swimming in swimming pools or the ocean. And I don't know why, but I wasn't really that afraid to go in the ocean. I, and maybe it's just because of the bigness of it or because, you know, you kind of like gently walk into the ocean from the sand and you can go in like, you know, one foot at a time. And I don't know why. I think because the ocean's so big, in my mind, I think like the fish are like way out there and they're not near the edge. But if you'd had, you know, scuba equipment, you'd probably see that there's swarms of fish even there near, you know, the beach because people fish, you know, right, right there near the beach. Um, but when we moved out to the Midwest, um, I mean, this was a new experience for me. But I mean, if you guys grew up in the Midwest, I mean, people, they swim in lakes and ponds and... <laughs> That I am scared to swim in ponds. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how people because that is just dark. And I mean, people that grew up like on the farms and swam in ponds, that that scares me to death. And it might just be the opposite for people like you guys that like, if you grew up out here and you swim in ponds, that you might go to the coast and be like, I'm not getting in that ocean. That scares me. You know, I, I don't know. But um, uh, like I said before, uh, what's amazing is it, um, by some estimates, humans have only explored one-fifth of the Earth's seas. That, I mean, that's, that is a, astounds me. Um, and that means that the fish that we are familiar with are only a small sample of the diversity of the swarming sea creatures that God has made. Um, I just wanna show us a few fish that due to our technological advances have been discovered in the depths of the ocean. Um, so let me um, do this. This is gonna do this every time, but okay. So here is Is it a fish? What's it called? A goblet shark. A gobble shark? Goblet. Goblet shark. See, I didn't even know the name of it. Okay. So there you go. That's pretty cool. I just found, I was just looking for weird fish, right? <laughs> this guy obviously needs braces. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> so, and I don't know where that guy lives, you know, but it's just kind of weird, you know? But God made, God made that guy. Um, and, then, and then look at this one. That's called, now that one said it's called a fangtooth fish. Okay. I don't think I'd like to encounter that one. Um, hopefully he's like very deep in the ocean. Okay. And hopefully he's not in ponds or lakes. I don't know. <laughs> okay. 
Now, now this, this is the one that intrigued me the most, all right? This thing is called a something snailfish, depending on where they found them. I can't remember what part of the world they found them in. Okay, but, okay, this is amazing. So I, I had to look this up, but they found these fish at a depth of 26,000 feet, all right? So I was like, wait a minute, how, how far is that? Well, 5,280 feet is a mile. That's like five miles deep. I mean, that's like from, I mean, you know, what's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's like, like as high as the airplane is, is in the air. I mean, that's just, and, and it said something like if these fish, if they'd like try to bring them up to a certain depth, they kind of like, they just like melt. They just like, like fall apart, you know, because they're not meant to be, they're, they're meant to live that low. So I just can't believe that we've like gone five miles down. Um, so, um, anyway, um, I think the takeaway here is that God wants us to know that these things that we can't see, but we know they're there. I mean, well, we know they're there today because of technological advances. And um, I remember actually when I grew up, um, one of the neatest shows that we used to watch, I think it was a primetime television show, actually was um, The Undersea World of Jacques Cousteau. Does anyone remember that? Okay, that was a cool show. And it would always do things like showing you know, they would go around the world and find, you know, new varieties of fish. Um, and then when my kids were growing up, it would be like that Steve Irwin show. Um, so I don't know what's out there today. Uh, ever since Steve Irwin died, I don't... What is it? Okay, okay. So, but I just think what God wants us to know is that he put them there. And um, he thought them up in his creative genius. That's what I think the takeaway here is that God is just like, you know what? I am creative and I'm a genius. And look at what I did. Look at these things that like you, and you only know, you've only explored one fifth of the known seas. So you haven't even seen all of my creative genius up to now. And then don't forget about the birds. So I said earlier, scientists think there are up to 10,000 varieties of birds out there. I mean, that I, I can't even imagine that. And, and that's what we think. So there are probably many more. Um, but that's it. what's incredible is that God thought them all up. And actually, as I'm just standing here right now, just kind of like light bulb turned on in my head, I guess that it would have been a really long work day the day that Adam had to like name them all, right? <laughs> so, um, but, look, but look, at the, look at these, okay? Um, I can't get this picture much bigger than this, uh, so you can't see it very well, but just, I don't know, it's just the colors of this and the tail um, <clears throat> are really neat. Um, and then, <clears throat> I'd, I'd never seen this before. I mean, that 
duck just, uh, it's got all kinds of colors. I mean, it's just amazing that God created all these colors. And then the one that is really, I think, is my favorite, I think, is this one. I mean, that one's just really, really pretty. Um, I don't know where in the world those ones live. It'd be really neat if they lived around here in Missouri. <laughs> um, so, um, but um, <clears throat> so I want us to just notice something here in the text. Um, I want us to notice uh, God's use of the word let. Um, in verse 20, it says, let the waters swarm, uh, let birds fly above the earth. In verse 22, let birds multiply on the earth. Verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures. And then God breaks this pattern in verse 21. And I might have mentioned this like last week or the week before, but it says, so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves. And, um, and, and I remember, uh, and well, and then I'm not going to steal Eric's thunder, but uh, in verse 26, God breaks the pattern again when he says, and let us make man in our image, um, where he uses a completely different verb, um, which is uh, more like God saying, he says, let us fashion. And uh, to me, in my understanding of that, God is distinguishing man from the animals and other created things. Um, by changing the verb there. Um, <clears throat> but um, remember how we talked about how the people uh, that Israelites were going to face when they went into Canaan? And these people tended to put like a godlike status on sea creatures and things like that. Um, uh, this word here, when I talked about the word bara, God created, and which meant that... and only God could barah, only God could create uh, when that word was used. Well, that's the word here when it says God created the great sea creatures. And so the people would, would take that to mean, hey, God created them. And so God is greater than those things, okay? So they are not gods. They, are, they do not have godlike status because God created them. Um, what do you consider the most terrifying living creature on earth? I don't know, maybe, I mean, Bob, you've been all over the world, so you, I don't know what you consider the most terrifying, <laughs> but it could, be, it could be something in the water. I know the proven most dangerous creature on earth. What is it? The mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, well, that's fine. <clears throat> yeah, it'd be nice if, well, on the one hand, I'd say like, it'd be nice if there weren't mosquitoes, but I'm sure God has a purpose for them, right? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> let's just say, I don't know, let's just say, uh, what's one of those wild pigs? You know, I'd hate to like come face to face with one of those wild boars. You know, but I'm sure there's other. Actually, what do they say is that the animal that like kills the most people? You'd never think of it. It's like a it's a rhin, rhinoceros, isn't it? Or no, a hippopotamus. Yeah, there you go. Hippopotamus like kills the most people. Okay. <clears throat> well, so just to put it into context, right? 
I mean, so like in Job's time, Job, perhaps to Job, Leviathan was the most terrifying creature to him on, on planet earth. So that's, you know, why God may have, when he had that conversation with Job and he's saying, Job, can you, can you make Leviathan like roll over and make pleas to you? Can you put a leash on him and take him for a walk for your girls? You know, I can, you know, I mean, so, so God addresses to Job, you know, thinks like what Job would think is the most terrifying creature on earth and says, look, I'm more powerful than that thing. You know, I can, I can take that thing for a walk. So that's, that's kind of what God would do to us if, if we said like hippopotamus, God, I'm terrified of it. He's like, well, I can just like make that thing roll over on its back and, and scratch its belly, you know? <clears throat> um, so another thing I want us to notice here <clears throat> is this repetitive phrase, according to their kind. <clears throat> um, and so I don't know why, uh, but this is, and I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but, but so whenever I've read this in the past, and it, a lot of it's according to its kind, according to their kinds, according to their kind, it's probably just that I'm preconditioned from like, high school biology, I always, what pops into my head is that whole thing about um, kingdom phylum class. Actually, let me see. Is this right? I wrote this down, but I didn't look it up. Kingdom phylum class order family genus species. Okay. <laughs> All right. So see, I mean, look at what you remember from like ninth grade biology or something. Um, but anyway, um, my point is this, Moses wasn't thinking about these 20th century um, naturalistic classifications that, you know, man-made scientists have, have done here um, to classify the animal kingdom. What Moses was really saying was just, hey, horses produce horses, chickens produce chickens, pigs produce pigs, and, and so forth. Um, and of course, we can observe that God created some variety within those animals, and, and I'm glad he did. I mean, so um, how many of you like, how many of you guys are like big dog people? Okay. <laughs> how many are you like teensy dog people? Oh, so few. How about middle, mid-sized dog people? Okay. So, um, you know, so it's, it's a nice thing that God created variety, you know, for those who like German shepherds, high Siberian huskies, um, Great Danes. We had a Great Dane when I was like about five years old, and, and we used to like ride that thing like a horse. Um, but, uh, and we never had the little bitty chihuahua dogs, you know, or toy poodles. Um, we knew people that did. Um, but now we have a beagle. So we're like mid-size uh, car. <laughs> um, so the main point here is that God is saying, look, I've established boundaries and order to where animals reproduce according to what they are. That, that's what he's basically saying. And um, uh, so perhaps God was giving a little hint to us modern people in this repetitive phrase, according to their kind, um, 
by allowing people here and most recently to discover even DNA. And, and I want to take um, just a few minutes here to uh, uh, just, we're going to have like a little science lesson. And I might not do a very good job of this because I'm not a DNA scientist, but this is from some stuff that I read, okay? Um, and it's pretty amazing, okay? And then we'll have a conclusion of it. <clears throat> but DNA, uh, which is deoxyribonucleic acid, is really, it's like a blueprint of life on Earth, okay? It's like, you know, at my workplace we have drawings, and then those drawings, someone builds something to those drawings. Well, DNA is like that blueprint of, of life. And uh, <clears throat> last week, I think it was, I mentioned the two guys that won the Nobel Prize in 1962 for kind of like discovering DNA. Um, and, uh, and they were amazed at um, the design and engineering of it. You know, they, they almost considered it divine, right, in quotes, but they were staunch atheists, right? So they had a problem. And uh, so how they would explain, like, wow, how did this advanced design and technology and engineering, how did it get to us? So do you, anyone remember how DNA got to planet Earth? From what I said? <laughs> aliens. Okay, aliens did it. So that's what those guys' conclusion was. Um, because they, they, they recognized that it had to be a superior, higher power, but because they were atheists, it, it could, they couldn't give credit to God, so it had to be aliens. Um, so anyway, that just, I, that befuddles me. But um, I'm just going to put up this picture of D, uh, a DNA molecule, okay? Um, and if I say things wrong, you guys can correct me afterwards, because like I said, I'm not a, science, a scientist here, a DNA scientist. But um, the shape of DNA resembles a spiraling ladder, and, um, which they call a double helix. And then the two legs of the ladder uh, are composed of sugars and phosphates. And then the rungs or steps of the ladder are called base pairs. Um, and the sequence of those pairs is what gives DNA its capacity for communicating um, vast amounts of information, which, tip, which is really the blueprint that makes each living being. And then there's four compounds, adenine, thymine, guanine, and cytosine, um, that combine in pairs to form these base pairs of the molecules. And um, not taurine and guarana for all you energy drink lovers. Um, so you don't see taurine up there. No. Um, but these molecules in nearly every cell of our bodies contain these base pairs in special and unique sequences that encode the instructions directing our cells to build the complicated network of molecular machinery that makes us who we are. Um, so I don't know, actually when I was reading that, it made me think, I, I, I just sensed that like this is a DNA molecule, I had the thought like, well, how many, how many cells are in our body and then how many molecules are in a cell? So I just quick Google search it 
I mean, this is what it came back with, okay? How many cells are in an average human? Supposedly, it's about 37 trillion. I don't even know how, how they come up with that, but I'm just going to go with that, okay? Well, that, that's amazing in and of itself. And then I wondered how many molecules were in a human cell, and this is very unprecise because it came back between 5 million and 2 trillion. That, that's a pretty big range, right? Um, uh, so, so the total length of DNA in one adult human is approximately the equivalent to 226 trips from the earth to the sun and back. Okay, the total length of DNA. So that's, you know, you talk about putting all those molecules together and you string them all out, it would be 226 trips to the sun and back. And um, for all the math people out there that want to figure that out, what that is is uh, there's six feet of DNA per human cell. Okay, six feet. Um, times 37 trillion cells divided by 5,280 feet per mile divided by 93 million miles to the sun divided by two to account for the round trip. So there, there you go. All right. So, um, but that, that's amazing. And, and if, if, if this pattern or this sequence gets off, then you're not who you are. You know, you're, you're, you're genetically not who you are, you know? And so um, uh, just as an example, I'll share. So in college, I, I had to take a, um, a class. It actually was the first programming class I had to take, and it was called assembly language. And some of you probably have heard of it before. Um, it was really, it was weird. I didn't understand it at all. I mean, because it's like, programming a computer in the language that a computer understands. Okay, so a computer understands ones and zeros. It doesn't understand words, okay? So, and that's like, I'm trying to compare this to like DNA. DNA understands these sequence of these base, pa these base pairs, okay? So um, at a most basic level, um, if you're, if you're telling a computer something, it would look like this, right? Okay, so in the assembly language class, I might would program the computer this right here, okay? That is a phrase, and I bet no one can tell me what that phrase is. I'm, I'm telling the computer to, let's say I wanted the computer to put this on the computer screen. Okay, it relates to the day, today. <laughs> what? Yeah, close, but it's I love you, mom. Okay, so all that to just say I love you, mom. But if one of those ones or zeros was out of order or out of sequence, it wouldn't mean I love you, mom. And that's, and that's how, why DNA, DNA is, is so precise. I mean, it, it's, it's, not, it's not just um, willy-nilly. It's not um, happenstance. So 
Just like a computer reads its instructions from something programmed on the hard drive, like, a, like specific sequences of binary, that's called binary, by the way, ones and zeros, computer code composed of ones and zeros, the DNA molecular code formed by those specific sequences of the A, C, G, and T bases encoded in the long strands of the DNA molecule enables our bodies to assemble all the proteins needed for various functions. And it is that sequence of the strings of those four chemical bases that contain and communicate the blueprint for every living organism on earth. Um, I'm just gonna read this one article, it's, it's real short, it's just three paragraphs, um, called Dare to Deny a Designer, okay, about DNA. <clears throat> it says, for those who do not believe in an almighty God who created life and who designed it for his own wonderful purposes, the existence of this remarkable molecule is quite a hurdle to clear. Scientists exploring the origin of life but failing to consider a divine designer find themselves facing the proverbial chicken and egg dilemma. Since the proteins used to read the DNA code are themselves created using the DNA code. The detailed information in DNA cannot be read without complex specialized proteins designed for the task of decoding it. Yet the complex specialized proteins cannot be created without the detailed instructions stored within DNA. Many biochemists are pouring passionate effort into creating a mythical and mysterious, quote, creation without God story in the laboratory, seeking to discover a plausible scenario in which information carrying molecules can assemble themselves randomly and begin reproducing themselves Yet despite all their efforts so far, they have failed. Just as a complex computer program demands a programmer who must have written it, the presence of the absolutely remarkable information-rich DNA molecule at the very foundation of every living creature on earth cries out to all who are willing to hear that life requires design and design must come from a supremely intelligent designer. With every cell reading the programs encoded in our DNA, like a hundred trillion computers reading a hundred trillion hard drives every second of every day of our lives, our very bodies demand that we believe in a creator. As science reveals more and more wonders of the human body and of life on earth, we can lift our voices to God alongside King David of Israel saying, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So what's the conclusion to all of this? Last week we looked at, last couple of weeks, we looked at creation, right? We looked out there. We looked at sun, moon, and stars. We looked big. So if you want to look big, you know, out there, what do you find? You find God, in my opinion. <laughs> um, if you want to go the other way and start looking small, microscopic, inside, um, what do you find? You find a designer. You find God. So big or small, you end up with the same conclusion. You find that God, there was a designer. The designer was God. Um, okay, so I'm going to um, <clears throat> get to the last thing here that we're going to look at. Um, and this is very important because um, what's interesting here is we're going to look at the first um, recorded words of God speaking to another living being. 
And so we want to see what these important words are that he speaks, okay? So um, the first words he speaks to his living beings is a blessing. Um, and I'm going to read here um, from verse 22. Um, after he made these living creatures, he says, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. <clears throat> so I want us to see two things in this verse. Um, I'm, I'm going to read that again slowly, actually. <clears throat> and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the one thing that we see here is that he created, um, the life he created is a blessing for more life. Um, he created life, and then he's blessing that creation, and he wants more life um, to happen. So what we see here is that God wants to make clear that life is front and center when it comes to his blessing. Um, we're going to see this in some other verses too, but blessing and life go hand in hand. Um, and then right here we see that blessing involves three commands. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill. Um, as we study through the book of Genesis, I mean, we're going we're gonna to cover this uh, um, notion of blessing more and more because um, that's really uh, a major theme in the book of Genesis, okay, is, is God's blessing, um, is God's blessing on Abraham, God's blessing on his people, um, here's God's blessing his creation. Um, so it's going to be a prominent theme that, you know, we'll cover again. Um, but since we've been learning some Hebrew words, uh, the one for today is Barak, and that is um, the word for blessing in Hebrew, and it literally means to enrich. And um, so if you think of God's blessing um, as enriching something above and beyond what you would consider its normal quality. So let's just say, um, you know, something happened and you were like, oh, well, that, that was pretty good, and, but that, I expected that to happen. Well, if it was a blessing of God, then it would be like above and beyond that. It was like, wow, that was really good. You know, I mean, so just think of God's blessing as something that's uh, above and beyond what you would consider uh, the normal quality. Um, and the opposite of blessing is cursing, and it has the idea of a barrier or paralysis on movement. And when I think of that, you know, I'm, we'll talk about this in a minute, but um, cursing and death go together and blessing and life go together. And when I think of like cursing, uh, when God talks about cursing, it's just almost like a, um, a, it is like a barrier. It's like, look, I'm not going to work on your behalf. Blessing is like I'm doing things on your behalf. Cursing is like, nope, not, not working on your behalf, you know. Um, sometimes in our day and age, we have a misunderstanding of blessing because it's just used, you know, in ways like someone sneezes and say, you know, bless you, you know, and which I don't really know what that means. Um, but uh, someone said it's because like you 
die or, or something. I don't know what it means. It's something about, someone said something like you lose your breath or something when you sneeze or something. So bless you is like, okay, good, happy that you're still alive. I don't know. I ought to read read the um, something about that. But in the South, someone may say, bless your heart. Um, when something that we perceive as good happens to us, you know, someone may post hashtag blessed. Um, so we're just going to look at a few passages so that we can gain a little more understanding of God's blessing and what it means to us and for us. Um, you don't have to go here because I've, I've got them written out here. I'll just read them. Um, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Um, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. So again, what we see here is that blessing is a concept closely associated with life. Um, and this is a, a major point that, I, that I'm going to make in all these verses. But what we also see here is that blessing is a concept that requires our participation in it. Okay? So um, when you think of blessing, um, it, 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 it involves, it's associated with life, but it involves our participation in it. Okay? Um, so you see, even in this verse, there's the word choose. That involves you. That involves us. Um, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. So there's a participation on our part in the blessing, or in this case, the people of Israel's part in the blessing. Okay, Genesis 26, 12 says, and Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. So here God is increasing Isaac's substance. God's like filling up Isaac's life, um, if you will, by blessing him. And again, we get this notion of participation. I mean, Isaac, Isaac had to sow um, in order for God to increase it a hundredfold. If Isaac wouldn't have sowed, there'd be no blessing. Um, and, um, and then we see this concept of multiplying and filling. God multiplied what he sowed and, um, and then filled him with more and more until he became very wealthy. And then Genesis 12, 1 and 2. To Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Um, so here we see God is speaking words of life and multiplying and filling his life with good things. And yet Abraham will have to participate in it by faith. Um, here, Abraham, when he got older, you know, he's thinking like, I, you know, I really can't participate in your blessing because I'm too old. My wife's too old to have children. Um, and yet he needs to participate in it by faith, not just by having faith, but by reproducing. 
Um, and then God is the one who will create life. Um, so he'll have to convince his wife, Sarah, as well. Um, so there is a participation on man's part. Um, so in summary, um, and, and you'll see this throughout, you know, the, the Bible and, and when it comes to blessing, um, um, that, that blessing in some way enriches the people who receive the blessing. It's the opposite of cursing. Um, cursing, death, and sin go together on the one hand, and on the other hand, blessing, life, and righteousness go together. Um, and as we've seen, even in these verses, blessing requires obedience and faith uh, to participate in it. Um, and finally, God's blessing also provides the means to participate in it. I think that's another. So, so blessing is closely associated with life, requires our participation in it, and God's blessing provides the means to participate in it. Um, and I'll get, I'll get to that in a second. But here's an example. If you look at Psalm 1, um, which we don't need to go there, but, you know, blessed is the man who does not walk in the uh, counsel of the ungodly, does not uh, stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but meditates on my law day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Um, does that require that man's participation in the blessing? Yes. You know, he, he, he needs to not stand in the path of sinners, not sit in the seat of scoffers. He needs to meditate on the word. Um, and what's the outcome? God enriches his spiritual experience. Um, I am going to turn here because I want to show how it's no different in the New Testament. <clears throat> in Ephesians 3, uh, and I'm sorry, in Ephesians 1, verse 3, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then he, he lists this long list of things here, right? So what are some of these blessings? Well, he goes on to say, you are chosen, you are adopted into God's family, you are redeemed from sin's curse, you are given an inheritance that cannot be taken away, and a whole list of things here. Um, but does that require our participation to be to receive the blessing that's there in the gospel? Yes, it requires it requires faith on our part. Um, so the second thing I said is that God's blessing provides the means to participate in His blessings. And so this is very important too. Um, so how did that work for the animals to receive the blessing of being fruitful, multiplying, and filling? Well, how did God provide the means for them to participate in the blessing? Well, he, pre he created reproductive systems, all right, in order for them to reproduce. So he blessed them. Um, he he uh, told them that, you know, multiply, fill the earth. Um, but he also gave them the means to participate in that by having reproductive systems that could follow through with that blessing. Um, with respect to the gospel, I mean, what was the means he provided for us to participate in the gospel? Uh, we might 
have more discussion on this um, in our A&I time, um, but I, the one that just popped into my head was his grace. That's the means that he provided for us to participate in the gospel, um, namely because it says, by grace are you saved, and it's not of yourselves. Um, so we have to participate in it by faith, but the means he provided was his grace. Um, so we can talk more about God's blessing um, in our A&I time, but I just think that's, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about blessing more as we go through the book of Genesis. Um, but I think it's just, it's just something that we need to understand um, because we want to be people that um, are walking in God's blessings. And, um, and, you know, I know sometimes we, I mean, I'm astounded at the times that I feel like God just, I mean, I think we all could have stories of, you know what, God blesses my life when I'm not participating in it. God blesses my life um, when I'm not participating by obedience and faith um, because God is just a merciful God. And, but, um, uh, but I, I don't know sometimes, like, what would life be like if I just was participating in his blessing uh, by obedience and faith? And, and what would that life look like, you know? Um, so, um, but God is a God who wants to bless. That's, that's kind of the, the point I want to make. God is a God. His first words to life, to his living beings, was a blessing. God is a God who wants to bless. We'll see that all throughout Genesis. Okay, let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you are a gracious God and merciful God. You're a God that... <clears throat> Actually, I think of the verse, God, that... that says uh, that you wait on high to have compassion. And I think you just, you just desire to bless um, your created beings. Um, Lord, we know that you are holding out your blessing of eternal life to everyone in this world. Um, you're holding out that blessing of eternal life to everyone in this room today, to those who, who have not participated in it yet. And God, I, um, um, I pray that that blessing of being in a relationship with you um, whom we've been learning about, uh, how great you are, um, that we can have this relationship with you for all eternity. Um, I pray, God, that um, those in this room who have not participate, pa participated in this, that great blessing of salvation, God, by faith, that, um, that they would do that, God, this morning. Uh, that they would do that very soon, God, that they would participate by um, 
turning from their sins, Lord, by asking you for forgiveness, by, um, by faith receiving you into their life and expressing to you a desire to live for you. I just ask that that would be something, God, that they would reach out and, and uh, be blessed by you. Um, because that's, that is the blessing, God, that we, that we as mankind need more than anything else. And we thank you for providing that blessing of the gospel to us. So, Lord, um, as we go to our, our um, discussion time, God, I just pray that um, uh, we'd even learn from one another, God, um, uh, how you um, have encouraged us and um, uh, that we can learn more about you from one another, God, since you live in each one of us. Um, pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.